this week on Young Nostalgia, I Made You. <laughs> Let's take a look. <laughs> regular tightly lightly slightly late young nostalgia fashion thank you so much for joining us i'm nolan as always ben is beside me for another wonderful episode episode 99 and we're nearing that amazing 100 it's so good to be with you guys thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it this episode is going to be all about a retrospective of kind of in- inventions that changed the world inventions that made us um, and brought us to the place that we're here today so it's going to be quite a kind of a quick fire fun episode back and back and forth spit fire it's going to be a good time ben how you doing today big guy i'm doing good doing good it's uh coming off well i guess never mind we haven't released that show yet <laughs> wow <laughs> just scrap this whole recording i know well now you just open that bag so we might as well just talk about it we recorded an absolutely <laughs> amazing 100th episode this past weekend with an amazing person so we have something really really cool lined up um for fans of the show as long along with new listeners alike so tune in next week to episode 100 we've got something special and something that we're really looking forward to to getting feedback from the listener base um as well as even expanding upon and you'll know what we mean by that once you listen to it next week so it's okay ben i love you long time i'll uh I'll just go ahead and keep it to one word answers. <laughs> For the rest of the good. show. Yes, it was no. good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, okay. Well, before we would start the show, uh, something came across my mind right before we hit record. Um, and that was I was eating candy just before I left work. <laughs> uh, it was forced down my throat, I promise. Um, so are you a fan of dark chocolate? Yay? Nay? No. It's gross. No. You hate dark chocolate? Yeah. Really? Okay. All right. Okay. What about uh, if you take the th- the the three or, or I guess the four? Well, if you don't like dark chocolate, then we'll take that out. But we'll take the three mainstays of Hershey chocolates, right? So you got the OG milk chocolate. You got Mr. Good Bar and you got Crackle. Go. What comes first? Like rank them? Yeah. I think it's in that order. Milk chocolate. Milk crackle, chocolate. And then... Crackle Mr. Good Bar is at the bar. end. I think I don't believe. I think you. Mr. Good Bar and Crack, Mr. Good Bar and Crackle are interchangeable in that it depends on the day. I think they're equal, but Hershey's just a plain Jane Hershey's milk chocolate bar, very top. Really? Yep. Wow, man, you're kind of boring. I should have expected that. Wow, that's mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Hershey's no. milk chocolate is just so good. It it doesn't need anything. Right. But you don't need to be in a certain mood to eat that. It's always good. I'm with you. I get what you're trying to say. So, uh, well, okay. Where, where were you going somewhere with this? Is that what you were that that what you were pounding at the end of the day today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mr. Good Bar is up at top for me, and then probably milk chocolate in the middle, crackle in the end. I don't want to drag but this. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say. I mean, like they're all good. Like I'm not gonna refuse any of them if they're put in front of me. Oh no, definitely not. What I was going to ask is uh, if I feel like it's a really underrated candy bar, and I absolutely love it. And they actually, some stores, I'm sure that's everywhere, but around here you can get big, giant bars of them are Charleston Chews. I 
can I am pretty positive that I do not recollect any time that I've actually had one of those. Fantastic. It's like in a yellow wrapper. I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about, but it's basically just like a like a vanilla nougat kind of chewy center with a drizzle of chocolate on the outside. And it's super simple, but it is amazing. And it is it's you can't eat too much of it at once because it's so sweet that it'll just you feel like your teeth are just rotting away. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I feel like another candy bar that's quite often forgotten is actually Hundred Grands, because those are quite good. That and uh, Take Five. Take Five is Take Five. Yeah, no, yeah, Take Five's a good. Okay, before we end this topic, uh, favorite candy bar just in, in general? general. Yeah, go to. Oh man, I never heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible jokes. No, over here. Uh, what is? What's the other peanut butter or peanut bar? There's like Snickers. It's not. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. It's like just peanuts. It's uh, it's not Baby Ruth. It's uh, pay payday. Paydays. I I would oh, have. Oh, you to, like paydays? I like paydays. Paydays are good. That's another one that's kind of overlooked. Pretty good. I also like the wrapper on paydays, like with that white, orange, and blue. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I'm what fan. about you? Favorite candy bar? Uh, Butterfinger, hands down. Especially That's, when they quote unquote improved the formula. Oh man. I yeah. can crunch on those every day. Butterfinger Butterfinger is good. But I don't know. There's there's so many good ones out there. It's hard to just choose That's one. That's true. That's true. I mean, screw it. We're just going to get fat and enjoy it anyway. All right. If you guys have a favorite candy bar you want to let us know, email us at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's get into episode 99 talking about the inventions that made us. What do you think? Let's do it. That's what that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> All right, let's kick it off. So the first one here, who wants to take it? Should we play uh, podcast rock paper scissors? Yeah, I think that's going to be a little tough on the delay that we got going on. We got this. I'm going to win. Best two out of three. Ready? On three. Okay. No wait. Uh, on shoot. Sorry. One, two, three. Shoot. Okay. Let's okay. do it. Okay. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> we both did scissors, though. Okay, so, okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> we both did paper. <laughs> you take it. You take it. All right. <laughs> it, was it. Funny. <laughs> it was funny because with the delay, you were like, and then shoot. like Yeah, because it's like you every like single time you would start, every single time there would be like a hiccup in the stream. <laughs> oh sure good excuse my friend yeah okay all right so i'm taking it as far like the first one yeah you yeah take handing it one. over to me like uh, yeah w- like win by forfeit no i just felt bad for you well it's the same thing <laughs> <laughs> um okay so first on the list uh we have the printing press um and of course before the rise of the internet uh, there was there was not any innovation that did more for the spread of uh, demon- <laughs> democratization <laughs> of knowledge than Jonas Gutenberg's printing press, uh, developed around 1440 in Mainz, Germany. Gutenberg's machine improved on already existing presses through the use of a mold that would allow for the rapid production of lead alloy type pieces. Um, so this led to, instead of, 
books or manuscripts or whatever being produced one at a time over and over and over again, this led to more of an assembly line type of uh, manufacturing. Uh, so the assembly line method of copying books enabled uh, a single printing press to create as many as uh, 3,600 pages per day. Um, so look back, uh, developed around 1440, by 1500, over 1,000 Gutenberg presses were operating in Europe, and by 1600, they had created over 200 million new books. Wow, that's um, nuts. And so this, this resulted in two things later on. So uh, the printing press was able to create so many books that, well, it, it was about the total number of books and also about how easy the books were to create, which made uh, reading material much more affordable to lower classes, which then brought up literacy rates. Um, but it also helped spark the Age of Enlightenment and facilitated the spread of new and often controversial ideas because it was easier to mass produce these texts and then distribute them uh, through trade. Right, so you didn't have to just fork up a whole bunch of cash to get like your ideas or your thoughts down on paper for people to read. Exactly, and so you yeah. know, instead of one book going out per month and then it had to go somewhere else after people were done with it, you could just mass spread them out and now everybody's got the same thing at the same time. Right, and I'm not entirely sure of like how this actually was like used per se, if it kind of had the molds of of the letters or whatever and mm -hmm. then would stamp them and then stamp the pages individually with like here's this page here's this page here's this page so multiple presses would be like doing different pages or something like that well yeah really you could sure. do it you could do it multiple different ways you could have multiple presses doing multiple different pages or you could have one press and you'd basically hammer out however many books you're going to make you'd hammer out that many pages and then you'd go to the next oh. page and then hammer out that many pages um, i see what you're saying and then go on from there now, if you had enough cool. presses you would take oh a warehouse of presses you could do every page at a time but i mean it you know at this time uh, 1500 there were only a thousand so that would right. limit you to an a thousand page book but right you you walk around and be like frederick what is going on and you see an acre field of just these machines just, just go into town stamp 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh all right moving on to the second one that we have here on the list is paper currency currency Cur cur currency uh, paper currency throughout much of the human history money actually took the form of precious metals coins and even raw materials which are like you know trade and bartering right like hey I'll give you this the uh, this wolf pelt for three tomatoes or something like that um, so uh, it, the inception of paper money actually ushered in a bold new era a world in which currency could purchase goods and services despite having no intrinsic value itself so paper currency was widely used in china in the ninth century but didn't appear over in europe until the late 1600s and then it kind of took a foothold um, it spurred on by the frequent shortages of coins banks issued paper notes as a promise kind of like an iou saying that future payments of precious metals or coins will come to you and then by the late 19th century many nations had begun issuing government-backed legal tender that could no longer be converted into gold or silver more of like we have this don't worry but this is easier for you to use rather than taking the gold and silver that the government has um 
the switch to paper money not only bailed out struggling governments during the times of crisis, such as example of the United States during the Civil War, but also ushered in a new era of international monetary regularization that changed the face of global economics. And so then everyone was kind of on the same level playing field when we were internationally trading goods and services. Right. And, you know, just kind of going more of what you're talking about, where it's a, a promissory note, it's it's basically like it's like a bank or you bank or government, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, we have this much value in precious metals and they create uh, they create these some sort of form of currency will use the dollar. And so they create uh, as much paper currency as they have coins. And then it's like that piece of paper represents a certain portion of their total precious metal reserve. Um, right. And I think there's at this point in time, I think there's very few countries in the world who still have any sort of backing on their currency. It's, you know, they don't, like United States isn't on the gold standard anymore, so the money doesn't it's not really used that way anymore. There's no value behind it. It's almost like you have an X amount of set money in circulation. Right. And it's always like accounted for, I right. guess, if that makes sense. It's because it's based it, less it's, on it's based less on a what you have in store, it's more of the value of the country as a whole, like in gross mm-hmm. domestic product and all kinds of different factors. Right. And, and it's nuts because I actually have a coworker who worked in like a Federal Reserve up mm. in Omaha here. Mm-hmm. And she went down to like the money room per se. <laughs> and they would have like, you know, stacks and stacks and stacks of just money, like brand new printed money. But then they'd also like take stacks and stacks and stacks of money and literally shred it, like shred it to tiny little bits and pieces because that was old money. So you can't just have extra cash laying around that's not accounted for, right? Right. So they would just take it and just shred the crap out of it. And she was like, what in the world? I mean, like millions and millions of dollars shredded every day Yeah. of old they, money or whatever. And to make that even better, they sell it. You can, they sell you the can buy bags of the shredded money. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I yes. have at least one somewhere around here. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. How much did you do? You actually pay as much money that's in the bag? No, the no, bag? no, no. I can't remember what they tell you is in the bag. It's like equivalent to like fifteen dollars. Oh, like really? they okay. estimate what got shredded to put in there, and they tell you there's like fifteen dollars worth of money in here. But they, I mean, I don't know what they're selling them for. I'm sure it's probably a markup. <laughs> right? Oh my god! You probably get that's fifteen dollars really... for twenty or something so, like that. So it's literally like like just a trash bag or something. No, no, no. It's like a it's like a small little Ziploc bag. Oh, oh, okay. Because yeah. I was thinking, like you know, like a like a full on thirteen gallon like trash bag full of money. I was like, that's only fifteen bucks. <laughs> no, yeah. So I was picturing it like just being barely filled. It's like I don't know the best way to describe. It. It's like an iPhone sized little Ziploc bag. Oh, okay, okay. I love it. Don't you just love it that right now, as we speak, money is being shredded. Yes. <laughs> Everywhere in the world. <laughs> What's up, Nick? What's the next one, big guy? So we have, and I, I feel like this one's obvious, but it's so important that we need to talk about it, steel. So. <laughs> Just end it there. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> steel. <laughs> so while early human societies made extensive use of stone, 
bronze, and iron. It was steel that fueled industrial revolutions and built modern cities. Uh, so going back a little bit, evidence of steel dates back to dates back around 4,000 years, uh, but the alloy was not mass-produced until the invention of the Besmer process, a technique for creating steel using molten pig iron in the 1850s. Uh, steel then exploded into one of the biggest industries on the planet and was used in the creation of everything from bridges and railroads to skyscrapers and engines. And, you know, this is, there's so many things that, I mean, I don't even think that does it justice. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but, you know, steel is in literally everything. There's steel in your house, whether it's fasteners or metal studs. There's You ride in steel vehicle vehicles every day. Uh, right. There's, well, I guess that's not really the best example. There's some steel in airplanes that you use to travel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, such a... Or look at weaponry. I mean, oh yeah, just taking it. All right, I guess I don't. It's fresh on my mind because we're rewatching it right now. But Game of Thrones, they're always talking about getting good steel uh, right. to make weapons, right. and Valyrian steel is the best kind of steel for blades, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know how important that was to civilizations that long ago, um, and how much we take it for granted nowadays. I mean, I, at my particular job we buy steel and make things out of steel every single day and it's not even a question like well we'll just we need to throw in a new steel shipment like we don't even think about it right and then right but how how tricky it actually is to make and how someone came up with the idea in the first place about adding car how you know how to add carbon to to iron um Mm -hmm. and forge it into steel right and and it's funny because like I was we were kind of going back and forth making the show prep for this for this episode, and I don't know if you've ever played like the the video games Civilization at all, where mm-hmm. it's kind of like you play as a nation, but then I've you never can played, kind of but build I know up, what you're talking make about. Cities, okay. Well, every time that you'd like uh, research and discover like a new technology, this amazing announcer commentator would like come on and give like a famous quote in history about it or something like that 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 pertains to the uh, research that you just got. And I was doing this uh, show prep for Steel, and the, in, in my mind, I was like, all I could think of is this one quote that he does. <laughs> and the quote is, uh, I got pig iron, I got pig iron, I got all pig iron. And then, like, that's, <laughs> that's that was all that was going in my head. I feel like I should actually, you know, play it. Find but, it and play it. Uh, right. I, I don't know if I've... Uh, there's one here that has all tech quotes, but I do not feel like taking up 11 minutes of everyone's time <laughs> <laughs> to find the one we need. So anyway, I was humoring myself. That's all that. right. We'll do it next time. Yes, next time. <laughs> we'll just come back with a random quote on the next show. I know. I got pig iron. I've got pig iron. Um, all right. <laughs> we could just open the show and play that and then not address it at all. I know, yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good idea. 
deal. Uh, okay, so the next one we got here is the electric light. While they are actually easy um, to take for granted nowadays, all it takes is a short power outage for all of us to be reminded how of the importance of artificial electric light. Pioneered in the early 19th century, century by Humphrey Davy and his cartoon. Oh my God! Pioneered in the early 19th century by Humphrey Davy. Davy. Carbon arc lamp, Davy. Dang it! Pioneered in the nineteen, pioneered in the early nineteenth century by Humphrey, Humphrey Davy, and his carbon arc lamp. Electric lights developed throughout the eighteen hundreds um, can uh, can be thanked to the efforts of inventors like Warren De La Rue, Joseph William Swan, and Thomas Alva Edison. It was Edison and Swan who actually patented the first long-lasting light bulbs in eighteen seventy-nine. And in 1800, liberating society from a near total reliance on daylight uh, forever. So, and knowing Edison, bam. he probably totally ripped off Swan. It was probably his whole idea. Oh, I know, right? And it was like, no, I did it, man. I mean, I, Thomas Edison was a smart guy, but man, was he a tool! Was he a sleazeball? Oh my gosh, I, uh, he was. There's all kinds of stories about how he ripped people off and patented other people's ideas before they could get a patent. Uh, and I think some of them being Tesla. Um, but, uh, yeah, like there's... Tesla coils and all that? Well, yeah, uh, Nikolai Tesla. Uh, right. And uh, they actually worked together for a short period of time. And I, wow. Edison screwed him out of so much credit and money that he he, he had to bounce. Um that's nuts. But uh, that, and I think there was a big debate between uh, direct current and alternating current, and Tesla was a big alternating current guy, which is what we use today. Uh-huh. Uh, Edison was a, how was that, a direct current guy. He actually, he actually set up a demonstration to, he wanted to prove how dangerous alternating current was. And he set up a, an experiment. It was like right... I don't remember what town it was in, but it was right like in the middle of town they did this. They electrocuted an elephant. Oh, okay. You know what? I feel like I remember this story a little bit. Yeah, to prove a point. And it was just a totally gruesome affair. Um, right. The whole thought behind it was it would just kill... It would show how dangerous it is because you just die so fast. Well, it turned into a big deal because it. they basically had to cook this elephant to death and because it, it didn't kill it. Oh my god, that's nasty. Yeah, Edison was that's not a so good guy. That's so awful. It doesn't sound like it. Maybe he, we should electrocute his butt. <laughs> yeah, zap zap, <laughs> zap zap. <laughs> I what what I would do would like scoot across a shaggy carpet and shock him. There you go. That maybe that's what he's maybe that's what his afterlife is. Is it's just a line of people all scooching across the carpet. Zap. Right, yep, zap, zap. <laughs> God, we're so lame. I know. What's dumb. next? Oh, is it my turn? <laughs> so yeah, have, I, think, I think so. We have the domestication of the horse. Uh, so since their domestication about 5,000, 5,500 years ago, horses have been inextricably tied to human development. Um Initial uh, initial benefits were obviously they enabled people to travel great distances and gave cultures the chance for trade to trade and exchange ideas and technology. 
so strength and agility meant that horses could also carry cargo, uh, plow farmland, even clear forests. So they were not only was it a tool for travel, it was a tool for work on farms and hauling mm-hmm. uh, hauling supplies from town to town. Um, so that being said, one of the huge advantages to the domestication of the horse was actually warfare. So we could, if we wanted to look at it in total usefulness of the horse, it can probably be split just about 50-50 right down the line with it being used utilitarian and then on the other side for warfare. Uh, So at this time, nothing was more feared than a horse-drawn chariot or a mounted warrior, and societies that mastered the use of cavalry, cavalry typically prevailed in battle. Right. Let me find the civilization quote for when you discover horse husbandry. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. I'll wait. No. Right. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. I mean, you even see it just, I mean, horses are such just magnificent, amazing creatures, but you've seen them just engraved as this, this creature to be respected, you know, and it's like a very much a human bond kind of a thing with a horse. And it's even been ingrained in shows and everything like you were uh, talking about rewatching Game of Thrones, right? I mean, horses are such a pivotal, pivotal thing in that show, even though like, you know, not one horse is like distinguished from another, but they ride horses all the time. You know, it's just like, it's something that, that is just, I don't know, a part of culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're traded as like a bargaining tool. Um, yeah, they're 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 everywhere and it's they're a part. They're a part of life pretty much. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's cool. I like it. All right. Moving on to transistors. Number six, first developed in late 1947 by Bell Laboratories. These tiny semiconductor devices allow for pre- precise control of the amount and flow of current through circuit boards. So originally used in radios, transistors have since become an elemental piece of the circuitry in countless electronic devices, including television, cell phones, and computers i'm sure microphones as well am i right oh you're 100 percent right literally everything we're doing right now (laughs) every piece of the puzzle relies on transistors right and that nuts (laughs) uh and then the last point here is the amount of transistors is integrated um, in integrated circuit doubles nearly every two years a phenomenon known as moore's law so their remarkable impact on on technology will only continue to grow which I don't necessarily know, like, the background on why the amount of transistors, like, keeps on going up. Is it just because the complexity of circuit boards to do multiple different functions good or do it well? Yes. Just needs well, it, kind it, of a it, dissipation of power. That is, that's a big one. It's, I mean, you need more transistors to do more work, um, to have right. more decision making. But also, as they get smaller and smaller and smaller, you're able to pack more into a... Uh, the same area oh okay so it's kind of a two-part two-part deal um i see what you're saying wanting more and more processing power but also being able to cram much more of them into the same size space okay cool i like it Mm -hmm. i'm a fan that's cool you never think about that but that that i'm sure has been just a huge magnificent leap into technology advancements oh yeah i mean it's 
we're we're now we're down into i mean you can have a transistor on a board that's it's basically oh i know i've gotten nerded out on it before but it's you can use it to switch <laughs> power by itself uh to allow current or close current off but if you look at like a processor on your computer down at its its very basic level it's filled with a bunch of transistors and so every one of those every input and output that that plc or plc I'm in work mode. Um, (laughs) So every input and output and every decision making that that processor does, which is a bit or a one or a zero, is handled by a transistor either being on or off. Oh, I get it. I get what you're saying now. Now there, you can, you could argue all day that there's a lot of that, a lot of that's happening virtually in a processor, but any, any, Elect, any flow of electricity in or out of that processor and there's I don't know if you ever handled one or seen one there's a zillion pins on the back all of them are right. being handled mm-hmm. by a transistor wow that's awesome yes thank god for 2020 even though it's been a crappy year yeah, no at least kidding. we have technology <laughs> we have technology Spongebob <laughs> we have technology when he tries to like clear off the dollar bill of paint <laughs> yeah he had I that computer and then he fans. started smashing the computer on against yeah the dollar smashes bill. it right <laughs> classic Patrick I know so next here we on the list we have boy that was a mismatched sentence wow next here on the list we have <laughs> <laughs> magnifying lenses I wasn't going to say anything but I was following you I was following you uh, lenses first came into use in the 13th century as an aid for the weak sighted uh, and the first te- microscopes and telescopes followed in the late 16th and 17th centuries figures like Robert Hooke and Anton Van <laughs> Leuvenhock would go on to <laughs> hey, use that was pretty good Thank you. I, I think I nailed it the first try. I took a uh, I took a note from from Emily about pronouncing the W's as V's on on German names. I know, and then you also took a note from me on how not to screw up. Right. Or how? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. Well, those, that's always of screwing up. That's good. Always good to live by. Um, <laughs> don't don't be like Nolan. Don't be like Nolan. <laughs> would. <laughs> they would go on to use microscopes in the early observance of cells and other particles, uh, other uh, cellular and microscopic particles, I should say, uh, while Galileo Galilei and Jonas Kepler employed the telescope to chart Earth's place in the cosmos. Um, so even though even though we, we tend to call them magnifying lenses, uh, you know, at this point, you should be able to figure out that they can be used to in both the macro and micro levels to see things that are really, really small uh, or things that are really far away. Mm-hmm. So these early uses were the first steps in the development of astonishing devices like the electron microscope uh, and the Hubble Space Telescope, for example. Microscope. <clears throat> wow. Magnifying lenses have since led to new breakthroughs in uh, an abundance of fields, including astronomy, biology, archaeology, optometry, surgery. There's really it's kind of hard to find any sort of scientific field that doesn't employ uh, some sort of magnifying lens. 
Right, right. Just look at glasses, man. I'm wearing glasses right now. Bam. <laughs> yeah, four eyes. That's more of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> you just like, you continued on for a second and before I just like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, maybe that's more of like optical lenses, but still, I feel like it still has the same nice. sort of kind of concept. That it's the same premise. It's the same premise, yeah. yeah. But it's crazy. I mean, this kind of stuff is still, you know, evolving and and jumping, you know, leaps and bounds today. It's crazy. I mean, you see new discoveries via like NASA and and things that they can see in far off space. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I it, like it. Just like everything else, it's always getting better and better and better. Always will be. Exactly. Exactly. Even this podcast. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> Hopefully. It is. Every episode is every literally episode, better than the better last. Better every day. Every week. Right. Better every second. If you listen to the same episode twice, it's still going to be better than the first time you listen to it. <laughs> yes, please do. Please go back to the beginning yeah, and listen right. to all of them. They're going to sound so much better. Right. Never mind the fact that all we'll right. get double the views. I know. I know. Yeah, we're not doing this on purpose, we right. promise. Um, okay, so something... Something to just be weird and ironic in this crazy day and age. Antibiotics is our last point here <laughs> on on the inventions that changed the path of history. So scientists like uh, Louis Pasteur and Joseph Lister were the first to recognize an attempt to combat bacteria. But it was actually Alexander Fleming who made the first leap in antibiotics when he accidentally discovered the bacteria-inhibiting mold known as penicillin back in 1928 while doing dishes and being a slob. Um, (laughs) Antibiotics proved to be a major improvement on antiseptics, which actually killed human cells along with bacteria. And their use spread rapidly throughout the 20th century. And it's and it's crazy because, I mean, you can kind of get in the, in the nuts and bolts and the weeds of this whole thing with how antibiotics have been used or been so prominent for so long that the bacteria is now changing and kind of combating the antibiotics. So the way we use antibiotics has definitely changed quite a bit just because you'll need more antibiotics to kind of diffuse the bacteria sometimes at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, as the bacteria evolve and become more resistant, there always has to be a development, right. better developments in antibiotics to make them stronger, to combat the stronger bacteria. Right, right. Um, and nowhere was there a, was their effect more apparent than on the battlefield, actually. So while nearly 20% of soldiers who contracted bacterial pneumonia died in World War One, with antibiotics being involved, namely penicillin, that number dropped to only 1% during World War Two, which is absolutely crazy and a good thing. I mean, to be able to say that, you know, soldiers weren't dying because of unjust causes or, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're able to kind of minimize that. Um, antibiotics, including penicillin, penicillin, uh, ven, oh boy, ven, oh boy. Do you know how to say this one? <laughs> van, uh, van, vansom, vansomycin, 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 vansomycin. Yeah. Sure. We need some of our pharmacy friends from back in college. Vansomycin. That's it. Yep. Vansomycin. Um, God, Cephalos- we got through one. Cephalosporin. Cephalosporin and streptomycin. 
uh, have gone on to fight nearly every known form of infection, including influenza, malaria, meningitis, tuberculosis, and most sexually transmitted diseases. Ew. Period. <laughs> Ended on that note. <laughs> <laughs> no, but th- that is cool. I mean, antibiotics, it's it's crazy how far back I feel like the health health field would be without them. Oh, it would be almost non-existent. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it would it would, leg- it would really right. be almost non-existent. <laughs> I mean, there's Yeah, I don't know what else to say after that, but Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We're both at a loss for words. I know, I know. Because it's like, That's you know, really hey, it's great on up. an audio only platform. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect ending to another perfect show. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 99, talking about the inventions that changed the path of history. It really means a ton to have you here. If you like what you hear, you can find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think, what you feel what you enjoy, give us a five-star review. Take 13 seconds, maybe 12 and a half. Let us know what you like. Leave a comment on that review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have anything else or, hey, you want to let us know what your favorite candy bar is, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Episode 100 is coming to you next week. As we already spilled the beans, it is in the works um, of actually just sitting in our Google Drive, ready to be pushed out when we actually do a regular release next week. But you're going to absolutely love it. Um, Time was of no factor. You're going to get a longer, more in-depth Young Nostalgia than you ever have before. It's going to be amazing. We really hope that you like it. After you listen to it, give us an email, youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And if you wanted to keep on doing this, I wanted to give a shout out to our good friend, Rusty, uh, co-host of the podcast, Otaku Brothers. Check them out on all your favorite listening podcasting apps, podcasting apps, but they do a great show. They do a great show talking uh, with his brother-in-law, Ryan, about their passion um, for video games and anything in terms of entertainment industry or just life in general. They do great work over there. Again, that's Otaku Brothers Podcast. Find them anywhere you listen to podcasts. What do you think, big guy? Good show? Good show. Nailed it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fine. Anything I mean, else? it's just a nice, a nice light show. Uh, to put out before a big one i mean it is long the 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 show we just recorded for 100 we should we should have done it a two-parter and then put out like an episode 99.5 oh my god and then just just drag it out (laughs) (laughs) that's a good idea i mean we could still do that you're right we could it's yeah it's not we have the audio we have the coveted audio file Yeah, would it turn out to be like an hour 40 maybe? Yeah, around there, hour and 30. So that's around three regular Young Nostalgia episodes packed into one fully engulfed, fully involved, fully engrossing listening experience for the listeners. Buckle up, listeners. Yes. Take out the teeth. Take out the fake eyeball. Gear up. You're in for a trip. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go cue this outro so then we don't mess this up anymore. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
It's been a blast as always. We can't wait to hear your thoughts on next week's episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us for almost 100 episodes through. As we always say, here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.